The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! I participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Hi, I'm Jennifer Blom, a narrator at Macmillan Audio. If you enjoyed the Unknown History podcast, there's a new audiobook I think you'll love from our team. It's called Butler to the World by Oliver Below. If you like what you hear, you can find the audiobook wherever audiobooks are sold. A couple of years ago, an American academic asked me to meet for a coffee. His name was Andrew. He was researching Chinese money and he wanted to hear about Chinese-owned assets in London and what the British government was doing to ensure their owners had earned their wealth legally. I get these requests every now and then, thanks to my role as a guide on the London kleptocracy tours, which show off oligarch-owned properties in the pricier parts of Knightsbridge and Belgravia, and I like to help if I can. We met at a cafe on the first floor of a bookshop in a rather grand building, on Trafalgar Square, a building that, funnily enough, considering the topic we had met to discuss, Ukrainian oligarchs had swapped between them in 2016 to settle an argument, in the way that my son might give a rare football card to a friend after they'd fallen out in the playground. Andrew had come well prepared for the meeting and had a checklist to work through, which was clearly designed to generate a list of names for other people he could speak to. Which law enforcement agency was doing the most to tackle the threat of Chinese money laundering? Who was the best person to talk to at that agency? Which prosecutors had brought the best cases? Who had done the most robust research on the volume of Chinese-owned money in the UK and what assets did that money tend to buy? Which politicians were most alert to the question and how did they organise themselves? Because of their shared language, Americans and Brits often think their countries are more similar than they actually are, which is something I am as guilty of as anyone. When I do research in the United States, I am consistently amazed by the willingness of officials to sit down with me and talk through their work. I call them without an introduction, and yet, time and again, they trust me to keep specific details of our discussions off the record. Court documents are easy to obtain, and prosecutors willing to talk about them. Politicians, meanwhile, seem to have a genuine belief in the importance of communicating their work to a wider public, which means they're happy to talk to writers like me. American journalists complain about their working conditions, just like everyone does everywhere, but for a European doing research into financial crime in the US is as heady an experience as letting a child loose in a Lego shop. Andrew, however, was discovering that the pleasant surprise, sadly, does not work in the opposite direction. I think he had been hoping that I would share a few contacts for British equivalents of the kind of people I have always found without too much trouble when I visited Miami, Washington, San Francisco or New York. It's possible that he had been concerned I would refuse to open my address book to him but it seemed not to have occurred to him that I would have no address book to open. 
that essentially the people he was looking for would not exist. There was no concerted law enforcement effort against Chinese money laundering, I told him. So there was no investigator who could talk to him about it. There have been essentially no prosecutions, so none for him to look into. And there is almost no research into where the money has been going, how it's been getting there, or, indeed, how much of it there is. He kept coming at the questions from different angles, almost as if he thought that he just needed to find the right password to unlock the door hiding Britain's enforcement mechanism. Where was the equivalent of the Federal Bureau of Investigation's International Corruption Squad? Who was doing the work of the kleptocracy team at the Department of Justice? What about Homeland Security investigations? Did Britain have something like them? Were prosecutors building cases in a British version of the Southern District of New York? Was bringing down a big Chinese money laundering ring the kind of case that would make someone's career? Which parliamentary commissions were probing this? Surely someone was. As he talked, I began to see the situation through his eyes, which gave me a perspective I'd never had before. The problem was that he could keep trying different passwords until the rocks rotted away, but it wouldn't help. There was no cave of treasures for him to open. If he wanted to find out how much Chinese money was entering the UK, who was moving it, and what it was buying, he was going to have to start from scratch and do all the work himself. Andrew had come to London to discover how Britain was fighting illicit finance. But he was discovering that this was not happening at all. Quite the reverse, in fact. It is, of course, not just Britain which helps Chinese kleptocrats and criminals to launder money. The shadow financial system used by Chinese criminals is transnational by its nature. It transcends any one jurisdiction and derives its power and resilience from the fact it does not rely on any one place. If one jurisdiction becomes hostile, money effortlessly relocates to somewhere that isn't. And the system grows all the time as lawyers, accountants and others persuade politicians to give them access to the kind of fees they can generate by moving money around. You can find it as much in Dubai, Sydney, Liechtenstein and Curaçao as you can in Switzerland or New York. But you find it most of all in London. And what I began to realise when talking to Andrew is how Britain is so much more invested in this business than all those other places. Financial skullduggery isn't just something that happens in the UK. There has been a concerted and decades-long effort to encourage it to do so. This is hard to comprehend because it is so at variance with Britain's public image as the country of Harry Potter, Queen Elizabeth II and Downton Abbey a place defined by irony, tradition and substantial breakfasts. Mob bankers are vulgar, and if there's one thing we know about Britain, it's that it's not vulgar. But the facts are the facts. However bad other countries are, Britain has, for decades, been worse.
it operates as a gigantic loophole, undercutting other countries' rules, massaging down tax rates, neutering regulations, laundering foreign criminals' money. It's not just that Britain isn't investigating the crooks. It's helping them too. Moving and investing their money is, of course, central to what the UK does. But that's only the start. It's also educating their children, solving their legal disputes, easing their passage into global high society, hiding their crimes and generally letting them dodge the consequences of their actions. I had known this before, but I had never thought of it as a single phenomenon. It was Andrew's questions that crystallised the matter in my mind. Britain is like a butler, I said at last, as I tried to explain to both of us what was going on. If someone's rich, whether they're Chinese or Russian or whatever, and they need something done or something hidden or something bought, then Britain sorts that out for them. We're not a policeman like you guys, we're a butler. The butler to the world. That's why we don't investigate the issues that you're talking about. That's not what a butler does. He looked at me for a few beats, perhaps trying to work out if I was being serious. How long has this been going on? he asked at last. And the answer came to me without me having to think about it. It was suddenly obvious. It started in the 1950s. We needed a new business model after America took over as the world's superpower. And this is what we found. Our conversation didn't last much longer and he walked off towards Parliament, perhaps hoping to find someone less depressing to speak to. But I stayed put and ordered another coffee. The idea of Britain as a butler was not one that had occurred to me before, but the more I thought about it, the more appropriate it seemed. Butlers have all the traits that Britain professes to value most, manners, resourcefulness, reserve, but repurposed as the obsequious polish of a servant rather than the noblesse oblige of a master. Having created this theory, however, I wanted to test it in the real world, but immediately came up against a problem. I had not, in fact, ever met a butler, so the first thing I needed to do was to find one. But that didn't strike me as something that would be hard. British butlers are the gold standard around the world, and Britain has a thriving industry in training people to serve as attendants to the world's oligarchs, so I called a butler school and asked for a meeting. A few days later, I was sitting in on a flower arranging class in a basement near Covent Garden. A middle-aged and rather horsey flower expert was teaching a group of would-be butlers from four continents how to decorate a country house with the fruits of an English garden, assisted by a large number of younger equivalents of herself who scurried round with secretaires. A different group passed through this basement every week. How could there possibly be sufficient demand for all these people's services after they graduated? It's obvious, isn't it? replied a dark-haired Canadian woman who was weaving stems together into a floral lattice. Anyone who can afford it wants their own jeeves. 
If I'd been a cartoon character, a light bulb would have lit above my head at that point. This world-leading British industry exists to solve problems for its clients, discreetly and profitably, as Jeeves did for Bertie Wooster. I clearly needed to hear more of these trainees' insights and decided to follow them as they moved into the homes of the very wealthy and see what happened next. Thank you for listening to this clip provided to you by Macmillan Audio. To hear more, look for this title wherever audiobooks are sold. The legends are true! Overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny! Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last.